You're listening to White Bird Mutual Aid. I'm Hannah Francis. This episode, I speak with three different White Bird Clinic IT systems administrators who are all veterans from different periods and areas of service. The IT department works from the same building that our clients receive services, and although their work is not direct service, the IT folks are very much a functional and present part of our community of service workers and people working towards the common goal of addressing our clients' needs. Cool. Uh, my name is Eric Duvall. Uh, my job title is a systems administrator here at Whitebird Medical Clinic, and my pronoun- pronouns are he, him. Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm Jonathan. I'm also a systems administrator here at Whitebird. Um, my pronouns are he, him, and his. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure being here today. Thank you. My name's Eric O'Toole. I'm one of our amazing systems admin here with this amazing group that we have in front of you. Um, <laughs> my pronouns are he, him, and his. Yeah, so you all share a job title, um, which is cool. Can you describe to me like a, a little bit of what you actually do? Yeah, absolutely. So we we fall under in the IT department, right? So we fall under the uh, administrative group or program here at Whitebird Clinic. So that admin group has, uh, it's very, very complex. There's a lot of different parts to it. So it encompasses our fiscal and financial departments, as well as human resources, IT, um, grants, fundraising, communications, all that good stuff. And so our main functionality here at Whitebird is really to support the 280 some employees and all the frontline workers and what they do. So we take care of you know that sometimes not fun, not glamorous work on the back end, and yeah, we're just support you guys and your technology as technology grows. We are the ones to make sure that we implement it, we upgrade it, we make sure you know when it comes to cybersecurity that you know that's been a big thing and make sure everybody's protected. And yeah, it's just we make sure things like this podcast can happen. Eric Duvall still works in the Oregon National Guard and would like it to be known that the views and opinions presented herein are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the views of the DOD or the Army. Many of Whitebird Mutual Aid episodes so far have been informative, uh, touching on what different services offer in the community, what certain terminology means, and how to get engaged. This episode is more of a discussion of what it means to be a veteran to these people in particular, and the importance and value of working together across socio-political boundaries to see the humanity in each other and to contribute something back into our community in a selfless and empathetic way without a superiority or savior complex. So could you tell me um, like, when and how you served and if you're currently involved still in all that. Yeah. Do you guys want to go first? Mine's a bit longer. <laughs> go ahead, Jonathan. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I was in the military in 1997. I joined right out of high school. Um, that's dating me a little bit, of course. I did four years in the military, just the four years standard, um, you know, uh, the standard uh, four years that that you originally sign up for. I, uh, you know, while I 
appreciate my time in the military and uh, feel like it was very helpful in my growth as a person. Um, I didn't necessarily want to stay in the military because of, um, you know, a, a multitude of different reasons. Um, but mostly because I, I, you know, I'm not a, when you're in the military out of high school, you don't, I didn't really understand some things about, about life yet. Like, for example, why are we doing these wars? Why are we being sent in harm's way? Things like that. And, um, at the end of the day, after my four years was up, I was very convinced that that just wasn't for me to uh, to be a part of that. Now, um, that being said, I, I learned a lot in the military. I got an opportunity to, to be in Korea for a year. Um, I was in Haiti for a year. Um, so being able to have a firsthand view of some of these countries, third world countries like Haiti, uh, really opened my eyes to uh, different parts of the world that need assistance and that are suffering way worse than I had any idea about coming out of high school. Um, so, you know, realizing that kind of thing and, um, you know, understanding that there's a great need for for not only the United States, you know, homelessness and, and things like that, but for other countries and other other uh, places that people don't hear about a lot, it's extremely bad. And so it's really kind of, it, it's guided my ship personally into uh, working for an organization like Whitebird, because I know that um, in addition to my expertise with the IT world, I can potentially play a big role in helping people that are marginalized and uh, have a really hard time helping themselves. So. There's a greater, huge, bigger issue, obviously, in the whole world that hopefully we figure out as a, as a, you know, as a species here over time. But you know, you have to sit down at some point and say, well, what can I do? How can I be a, a part of change? And how can I be a part of helping people that are marginalized? And and that's, you know, essentially why I'm working at Whitebird and why I feel good about, you know, doing my job every day. I get home at the end of the day and I can I, I feel good about the work we've done. I feel good about our team. I feel good about the direction of Whitebird. Um, and I just don't get that with other corporate entities that I've worked for in the past. So, yeah, that's the, I, I could go on and on. But in a nutshell, that's that's why I was in the military and, and kind of why I'm where I'm at now. Gotcha. Could you also tell me what you did in the military? Absolutely. I was uh, a 31 Lima, which is a wire maintenance installer and uh, in quotations, a cable dog. So if anybody listening uh, may have been from that era, uh, I don't think that MOS is still around today, but it used to be the cable dogs. And I was a big part of that group. Um, and basically, that's your IT here in the in the civilian world that's just basically IT general IT and and almost a, being a systems administrator like I am now so right on thanks mm -hmm. what about you O'Toole well um I'm a little bit older than these two youngins so yeah so I joined the military in 91 um got out in 95 I just did my first four-year stint, even though they were willing to give me money. The military just wasn't for me. Too much politics and 
I was on an aircraft carrier, so I dealt with an admiral for six month deployment that I was on. And uh, as much as I love the guy, just yeah, it was just too much politics involved in that. So, you know, I've been halfway around the world. I was at the end of the Persian Gulf War, the first one. So, yeah, so I got to see we basically just do did no fly zone over Iraq. So we just flew when we were in the Persian Gulf, just flew jets over there. But traveling around the world, I got to see so many different cultures. I mean, I've been to more countries than I've been to states in the U.S., so it was definitely very eye-opening, especially as a young young adult. So, you know, I got out. Um, I was in radio telecommunications, so basically I was the voice of the ship. Um, at the time, we were transitioning from older technology to newer, so that's how I got involved in IT work. Um, we I helped them upgrade. Um, now, my job is now just pretty much an IT job in the, mili- in, in the Navy. So they mixed that. So, but it was definitely fun to see the growth of IT from all this, especially in the military. But everything's so much easier, right, Deval? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, I wouldn't. Eh, I wouldn't call it easier now, but it's just it's different, you know, different technologies and stuff. Uh, do you have any more, Eric? Nope, I'm good. Cool. Awesome. So, uh, gosh, this is so weird. Yeah, no, I was just sitting here thinking about how you said, oh, I joined in 1991. So I joined in uh, 2012, and I'm still actually currently serving with the Oregon Army National Guard. So I've been in for 11 years now, which I, if you look at the grand scope of it, really, like us three in this interview, we really cover so many different generations of veterans from, you know, uh, the first Persian Gulf War all the way through to present now. So it's 32 years of of service that we have different insights on. Uh, yep, but so my MOS is a 25 uniform. I'm a signal support system specialist. I'm currently assigned as a uh, forward signal support non-commissioned officer for an infantry company. So essentially what that entails is I maintain all the radio uh, communi- and satellite communications and internet communications for a company of infantrymen that's you know roughly... 45 people right now. Uh, My service, different things that I've done throughout my career. Uh, In 2014 to 2015, I served in Afghanistan and with Operation During Freedom and Operation Resolute Support. Uh, 2016, I did domestic uh, wildland firefighting operations here in Oregon, which was super cool, really rewarding. And I guess this time of year when we're recording this is kind of prevalent. So there's a lot going on. Uh, 2019, I did a brief operation in British Columbia called Operation West the Avalanche, which was uh, cold weather training up there with our Canadian allies, which was super fun. And then 2020 to 2021, I was in Kosovo in the Balkans with Operation Joint Guardian and NATO over there, working with uh, the Albanians and Serbians and Kosovars and just sort of, you know, continuing our and furthering our relationship with our allies in that uh, region of the world. So much like Jonathan and Eric O'Toole, I've had a a pretty good insight to all of these different communities and stuff and seeing a lot of prevalent problems that also transcend what we're sort of experiencing locally and uh, and nationally here in the United States and seeing how that actually permeates and transcends the the whole world. Right. And it's been it's been eye opening and it's made me you know incredibly blessed to sit here and see and look at the resources and the things that we have here in the United States and especially here in Eugene, Oregon as well. 
Was there a specific moment where you like decided to join the military or the Navy? Oh, I mean, I, none of my family actually guided me towards anything. And so I didn't really have an idea what I was going to do when I graduated. Um, friends would go to college, but nobody said, hey, you should try college. And a friend of mine was joining the Navy. And so he's like, he's like, hey, you know, you know, here's my recruiter. And of course, his recruiter was some nice looking woman. So, of course, as a teenage boy, I'm like, OK, I'll go this way. <laughs> so so that got me into it. So I went there and, you know, I got, you know, worldly experiences. I got my college paid for. Now I get medical benefits through the government. So it actually turned out pretty well for my four years in. So what made you join, Jonathan? Well, there's a real story to that and then something that I, I'm trying to make up, honestly. <laughs> but I guess I'll just tell you the real story. And if you want to edit it out, that's great. Um, but I was sort of tricked into joining the military by the recruiter. I really wanted to play baseball in college and had my sights set on something like that. Um, and then one day they came and talked to my father, who's the retired Air Force guy, and my mom, and got us all in the kitchen and discussing the military. And, um, you know, I told them that my desire was to play baseball. And they said, well, you could do that in the military, too. Um, you know, you could be on the all army baseball team and, and, and then they painted this scenario where, um, you know, what, if you're a baseball recruiter, would you, would you rather pick somebody that's in college and partying all the time and they're out of shape or would you pick somebody that's in the military that's constantly training and, and this and that. And so I ate it all up as an 18 year old and ended up joining the military. Now, I don't want to seem like I regret that decision because in hindsight, it probably was the best thing for me. But um, it wasn't. I remember calling my mom when I got in and realized what was going on. I was like, hey, you guys weren't being truthful with me. And, my, and that recruiter wasn't either. And I, I remember trying to bring that up several times. And um, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of let that roll. I let that roll off my shoulders and you try to uh, you got to try to be positive about the situation. And like I said, I don't regret it at all. I think it's done a really good job of uh, helping to mold me as a person um, and especially with discipline and, and work ethic, things like that. Uh, so I, I really hesitate even talking about that. But that is the truth. It is definitely a truth that a lot of people do, you know, not know what they're getting into. Yeah. Um, so I think it's representative. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say in, in that same vein of not knowing what you're getting into. So when I was 18, I applied for colleges. I got accepted into Southern Oregon University and I had submitted my financial aid packet, got it back. And I was like, oh, crap, crud, I can't. I can't afford to go to college, right? So after that, I sort of started to shop around to recruiters. Um, I'm originally from Clinton Falls, which is a big Air National Guard town. We have a Kingsley Airfield down there. So I went to the uh, Air Force and I was about to go to MEPS, which is the military entrance processing station. 
the next day and I got a call from, you know, a 22 year old guy named specialist Anthony Bond, who was an Army National Guard recruiter, called me up, said, hey, man, I know you're about to go enlist in the Air Force and all this, but let me take you out for dinner. Right. So we went to Applebee's. Uh, we got a two for 20 meal. And I don't know what he said, but I was sold after that, uh, which is a funny story now. So when I originally enlisted, you know, and I, I tell soldier that this even to this day, it was 100 percent just for the college benefits. You know, I wasn't interested in serving. I, I I don't think that I really had a grasp on what it meant and what I'd be asked to do and everything, because when you're. I feel like when you're 18, you're still in that very big transitional phase in your life where you're ending high school and you're trying to figure out, well, what do I actually want to do now that I'm an adult? You know, and I say adult with loose quotation marks because I definitely was not an adult at that time (laughs) in any traditional sense of the word. But what I found over the years of serving is that, you know, the reasons why I serve now are vastly different from why I entered. You know, I love I love training young soldiers. I love sharing wisdom and knowledge. You know, I love giving back to the community and I am just incredibly grateful for the opportunity to serve my country and the great state of Oregon because um, I truly believe that Oregon's probably the best state in out of, you know, all of them. Maybe Utah is a close second just because it's so beautiful, but you know, I think we might have it beat in some aspects. Uh But as I do, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. And then it's also led me, you know, it's led me to some of the best things in my life. You know, if I hadn't joined the Army, who knows if I would have gained this experience in the IT field and would have been able to apply for this job and work with um, this organization and work with this fantastic team of, you know, just really the utmost IT professionals that I've ever met. So. And and guys, don't don't cry right now. <laughs> and you know, it's even led me to you know, You're right. uh, yeah. <laughs> it's even led me to meeting my wife. Um, you know, I took a trip to the East Coast to uh, once my mentor from the Army retired, and lo and behold, I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, matched with a girl on Bumble, and now that girl is you know Mrs. Eric Duvall. So, what what led each of you? to this work at White Bird Clinic? Like, how, how did you find this job? Well, um, I've been in the IT world for 30 years. So, I mean, a little bit, yeah. So I've gone, I've worked probably at five or six different IT places here in town. And my most recent one prior to this one was across the street at a place called Alacrity. And the reason why I started looking for work from there, because I mean, it was a good company. Everybody valued me, enjoyed me, but you know, they ended up, they had a position open that they ended up finding somebody else for. So I, and my manager didn't say, Hey, we hired somebody else for this job that you applied for. And so I got kind of upset. So of course, you know, I'm like, look for another job. Well, I saw this one. So I applied for it and I've always wanted to work for a nonprofit because of what they do in the community. I know they, you know, they're always dealing with funding and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just I love what I could do for this. And I see the Oregon round three, four, one. I see all the people they help front rooms. I applaud for what they do. I mean, they are an amazing group of people. And so now yeah, I really love working here. Yeah, I was at uh, Eric. Did you want to go next? Or? 
Yeah, I was at a between jobs. It was right during. So I, I was let go from my previous job due to pandemic reasons. Uh, I was working for a, a senior living uh, organization that had 36 different senior living communities uh, all over the, the country. And they had some issues, unfortunately, with the COVID and it affecting their uh, clients. And so obviously when that happens to a company like that, they have to cut some corners and cut some cost. And I was one of a large handful of people that had to be let go. Uh, so in that pandemic, uh, sort of when it first started, that's when it happened, I think probably July or August of that 2020. And at the time I was thinking, well, what I really, I got an opportunity to to take my time a little bit with finding a job. And I wanted to find something that, that made sense to kind of where my values were. And also one of the reasons I'm in, in IT to begin with is because I enjoy helping people. Um, so it, it really made, as soon as I saw the Whitebird uh, job posting. I, I researched Whitebird. I did already know a little bit about Whitebird and what they did in the community, but um, just kind of realizing that it was maybe, I don't want to say a match made in heaven, but just kind of, I felt I felt a strong internal push to, that this is kind of where I was supposed to be or or an agency like this, where not only could I help on the IT side of things, but I could also try to be a part of uh, helping out with the with the marginalized and 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 you know the veterans that need help, things like that. Things that are outside of work, honestly, they're always on my mind. I'm always thinking about, you know, how can the world be a better place for everybody? How can it be more equal for everybody? And uh, in some small way, I feel like I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be in that regard. Although I I uh, I do recognize a need to somehow make it to a national level or even a world level um, to to make a dent in something as well. So that I do have that strong pull. What else What else can I do here? But for now, it, it's really nice to be a part of something like Whitebird, where at the end of the day you can go home and you feel like you've made you've made you know, progress on things. You feel like you've made a difference in certain people's lives. I mean, we come to work every morning and we we are greeted with with some of the houseless people and, and we establish relationships with these people. And, you know, um, just, just being able to smile at somebody that hasn't been smiled at and, um, you know, accepted as a human being and, and knowing the difference that can make in somebody's life just just eye contact hey how you doing you know things like that so you know i really appreciate things like that and and it makes me feel great at the end of the day yeah uh what brought me here um so unlike jonathan uh, the story is not as uh not as awesome or as you know emotionally involved uh but my wife worked here as a therapist for a brief amount of time and she reached out to the IT team and said, uh, because, and, you know, recommend said, hey, you know, my husband's, he works in IT, he's kind of looking for a job right now. Um, do you guys have an opening? And one of our colleagues replied in all caps, yes, uh, send me his resume right now. And so I think I interviewed a couple days after that with the team. And it was just, you know, it was very, we all clicked really well. At that time, there was, 
only three people on the IT team, and I was the fourth. And so since then, and I've, I've been here for about a year now, and this year has been really transitional and a big growth year for us. We've added in two new uh, systems administrators, as well as we promoted, um, not promoted, he, he definitely earned his role, but it's uh, Tyler Stewart, who is our IT coordinator. Yeah, so, and then since then, uh, and to be truthful, I did not think that I would stick around in Wipert for that long. Uh, you know, I come coming from a military background and, you know, coming from rural Southern Oregon. Um, I've noted I didn't think that my ideologies and, you know, my political views or anything like that would align very well with my coworkers. But what I think is fascinating is that in in the reality of it is that the work that we do here sort of transcends any ideological barriers or any political differences and stuff. And so, and just having such a cohesive team in the IT group and the admin departments has sort of negated any uh, pitfalls or shortcomings from that aspect. So, you know, Wiper's just this weird, very diverse sort of entity. And, you know, we're doing really empowering, great work. An estimated 2,432 veterans in Lane County were living below the poverty level out of a total of 26,362 veterans in Lane County. That's about 9.3% of the total veteran population in Lane County. In the U.S. as a whole, about 6.3% of veterans are living in poverty. Eric Duvall points to the historic ways that people have been brought back into society after service as one of the main reasons for high rates of veteran houselessness and poverty. Based on data from 2017 to 2021, there are about 265,000 veterans in Oregon. And of this veteran population, about 67% served from the Gulf War, which ended in 1991 and before. So we're talking World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and the Gulf War. And so that big span of time. So when it comes to, so with that specific sort of subset of this demographic, right, the the Army, for example, has undergone massive change. And we've gotten a lot better about a lot of things um, in prepping us to, for when we finally transition out of the Army. Right. So after every deployment, I have to sit through basically a week of training, uh, which is called ACAP, which is uh, the Army Career Assistance Program. Right. So it goes through, you know, resume building and all this good stuff. But for this larger, you know, almost 70 percent of veterans that didn't have these programs, I think that they had a lot more of a difficult time transitioning from these periods of service back to the real world. Right. And so when we're looking at that, we're saying, you know, the physical and mental health aspects of it, which were, which still to this day continue to permeate through our culture. You know, PTSD, because of the nature of what we do, um, PTSD and other traumas are really prevalent. And we've made strides, you know, great strides towards, you know, becoming more resilient and more capable and sort of destigmatizing soldiers and sailors reaching out for those behavioral health resources. But, you know, we're not quite there to the finish line yet. Um, so when it, when some of these older vets came back and, you know, they were 
struggling with PTSD. I feel like a lot of times they, much like our non-veteran unhoused demographics, they tend to go through the same routes where, you know, they self-medicate, they develop substance abuse disorders, which just further, you know, compound the underlying issues, which are largely trauma related. So I think it would be remiss not to address the physical and mental health aspect of it, as well as the other big one for me is when we're looking at Korea and the Gulf War and World War II, right, we're looking at populations that came or, you know, they were 18 and they got trained as professional soldiers. And whether you want to look at it as fortunately, I think it's pretty fortunate that in our society, there's not a direct correlation between what an infantryman or a Navy SEAL does to a regular civilian job, right? And so I think the three of us in this interview are very fortunate that um, throughout our military service, we were able to train on these very translatable skills, but that's not a ca- the case for a lot of a lot of these folks where you know, not to be crude, but their job was to find the enemy, close with the enemy, and kill the enemy, you know. So when they came home, they couldn't really apply that towards anything, you know. You can't go down to an auto dealership and write on your resume, hey, I'm really good at emplacing a Claymore. That's not going to sell Chevys. So I think uh, many of them developed or faced some employment challenges, And, you know, in all these post-war periods, we tend to see economic downturn and decline, right? Because the American war machine and the military industrial complex is really good at beefing up the economy. But once that goes away, then we don't really see those those wartime benefits anymore, which sounds weird to say wartime benefits. But, you know, from an economic standpoint, they're you know, we do pump a lot of money into American industry and a lot of production and manufacturing. And so when those jobs go away, then everything just sort of has this compounding snowball effect. Do either of you have anything to add to that? No, I I see a lot of a lot of people get out of the military, whether, you know, a lot of them have disabilities when they get out. Um, A lot of them have whether they got out honorable or dishonorable discharge or whatever, you know, if they're if it's dishonorable usually it's harder to find jobs because you're putting on your resume you got dishonorably discharged for you know and sometimes it's for reasons that were out of your control but the military still has a structure a lot of them i hear about a lot of people who are on disability and that doesn't pay enough to live on but they can't get work because they'll lose their disability and so it's it's kind of a hit or miss and that's why a lot of them you know they still get their disability they just can't afford a place to live because it's so high so, mm-hmm. I've also met a lot of people in the military that don't have a lot of family, you know, so they get back and they need help and, you know, they, they do what they can and then they don't get the support from, from their family. Like maybe somebody like Eric or myself and and Eric Latul have received. Um, So when you really start to think about it, it can really turn into a problem quickly, you know, for a lot of people. Um, And not to mention that it doesn't matter if you're a veteran, it doesn't matter if you're making a lot of money or a little bit of money, it is super expensive anywhere you go in the the country for housing, you know, and it just keeps going up and up and up while inflation also does. So um, it's a struggle for everybody, which makes me think personally, like I'm always thinking if it's so hard for me, like how, how can people that are struggling 
like people, veterans coming back from war, things like that. How the hell are they able to do anything? You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's a it's a very big problem for the entire country, especially people that are uh, that are struggling mentally and coming back from a war and and, you know, that that don't have the, the support. Yeah, I, I wonder if um, it seems like there's like been a lot of measures taken by the military and the government to like sort of address some of these issues. Um, like, for instance, when you get back from your deployment, um, mm-hmm. you get like reentry. Obviously, the the main issue here is the housing crisis and and the cost of living. Um, but is there anything else that you like really sticks out to you as like something that needs to be addressed? Reintegration yeah. or so. As someone, I've never gone through the VA process, um, but I, uh, which is the Department of Veterans Affairs. And so, but Eric O'Toole has gone through a lot of that. Um, and I have, you know, people who, that I've served with that have gone out and they've had varied experiences. It seems like it's it's getting better and that Congress is sort of prioritizing, you know, broadening the the VA and sort of their scope of responsibilities as well as the funding for them and trying to ensure that we correct and mitigate some of these problems that and pitfalls that have affected the previous generations um but you know for a lot of vietnam vets and stuff like that that you know maybe they didn't have all of their injuries documented you know maybe they didn't have clear records retained for when they were near open burn pits or if they were exposed to agent orange or any of those just nasty things that were part of that uh that military action and so i feel like for that generation of veterans um you know, they're hit a lot harder with all of these things that sort of compound and ultimately lead to the road of they're unhoused or they, you know, are living with, you know, they have poor housing quality or it's crowded or, you know, they're paying way too much for housing. And I think that 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 for someone to feel secure and, you know, feel like they have a stable roof over their head is probably one of the greatest indicators for how the rest of their, you know, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being is going to be. You know, I think even when you talk about if you go out to the woods for survival, you know, food, water, shelter, it's among the top three things that, you know, you have to have to actually be alive and to not only be alive, but to live. Mm-hmm. Whitebird Clinic aims to help people meet these basic needs. While our services are not specifically designed for veterans, and we do not have a direct association with the VA, our case managers and peer support at our Nest Department can help you sign up for veteran services and get to your appointments on time. I would like places like Whitebird to have possibly have a better connection with like veteran services, like the VA and stuff like that. I, I don't know what they actually have, but I don't, you know, when I go to the VA, the first thing they ask me is about suicide. They ask me, am I okay? Am I in a good place? Do I have a, do I have house? I mean, even before they even check out the reason why I'm there, that's the first thing they ask every time I go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if they find out if, if they, somebody comes to the front rooms and they find out the person is a veteran, guide them towards the VA and maybe help them sign up for their services. Because I mean, Besides having the medical that we have here at Whitebird, which is pretty good, 
VA. I have the VA. It's awesome. I mean, I've gone through a bunch of procedures and it was all paid for. I mean, it's and sometimes people hear bad things. They don't want to try for the VA because it's slow. I have not had a bad experience. Some of the things have taken a little bit longer, but I understand. But they get me right in. They get me my appointments. I actually have a doctor who actually responds a lot faster than my provider does. So it's, I think, VA benefits for people who go through Whitebird should be guided towards that direction if we have that connection with them. So. I'd like to say that uh, if you're if you're listening and you're a, a veteran, especially a veteran that's struggling with mental health, um, just know that people like me are always thinking about you. Um, and I hope I hope that you can get some help. And if you need help, try to reach out to to people like myself, to Whitebird, uh, like Eric and Eric mentioned, the VA. Um, it might feel like you're alone in the world and like there's nowhere to turn, but people are trying to look out. People are trying to do the right thing for you. And if all else fails, try to reach out to people that are in that are from the same situation and, and just talk to them. And thank you for your service. It's maybe not what Eric wants to hear, but I know for <laughs> me personally, I, I take that as just uh, hey, you know, thank you. You know, it doesn't have to have anything behind it. Oh, that was good. Jonathan, you stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> but you said it a lot more eloquently. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. So I think I'll just pull, I'll pull out another random one from the hat and just uh, say that, hey, if there's anybody that's uh, a veteran or, you know, currently serving in the reserve component or anything like that, Wiper's a pretty cool place to work. And I know that we're, we pretty much always have positions open. So sure to check indeed.com or our website for careers and, you know, <laughs> apply because it's on face value. You wouldn't think that it's a very friendly place to work, but that could not be further from the truth. Thanks to my guests, Eric O'Toole, Jonathan Ross, and Eric Duvall. If you have any questions on Whitebird Clinic services, or if you would like referrals to and assistance with local VA services, please call our Front Rooms Department at 541-342-8255. That's 541-342-8255. Thank you for listening to Whitebird Mutual Aid. My name is Hannah Francis.